You are listening to Packers Talk Radio Network. PackersTalk.com. You're listening to No Huddle Radio on the Packers Talk Radio Network, your home for in-depth and thoughtful Packers analysis. I'm joined by my good friend, Gil Martin. He's a writer for thesportsdaily.com and Cheesehead TV, and I'm your host, JJ Leahy. We're here to talk Packers because you're all here for one thing, and that's a love for Green Bay football. The Packers beat the Lions 35-17 to on Monday Night Football. Pretty good. Gil, you said 38-21 to Packers. I said... 31-17 on the podcast, and then on Twitter, I couldn't remember what I had podcasted, so I said 34-17, which got me even closer, but now the pack goes on the road to hell. I mean, Levi's Stadium. <laughs> I, 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 I don't like the 49ers. I don't like playing the 49ers. I don't like road games at Levi's Stadium, uh, but... We're going to break this down for you. We're going to uh, talk about the quite banged up 49ers. This has been kind of a thing for most of Kyle Shanahan's tenure is, you know, you just got whole position groups that are just decimated by injury. Some years it is uh, quarterback. Some years it is running back. That's what we have this year. Uh, last year it was, you know, basically the entire team. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, yeah, so we got the we got the running backs. We also got uh, some stuff going on with their cornerbacks. That's going to be interesting to talk about. But we're going to start this off. I call to the stand, Mister Gil Martin, to make his case for why the Green Bay Packers will beat the Forty ers Wow. Uh, yeah, this is not an easy road. I think the, the I think the case has to be made that the Packers have a big edge at quarterback in this game, that Rodgers is clearly a better quarterback than Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, So that's one thing. I think the Packers have another edge at running back, that the two-headed monster of Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon is a a better group than the banged-up 49ers running game. And I think that Jair Alexander may be able to slow down Debo Samuel enough to give the Packers, uh, you know, to slow down the San Francisco offense just enough for Green Bay to outscore them. So that, to me, is your path to victory. Uh, And to the stand, Mr. J.J. Leahy, to argue why the San Francisco 49ers will trounce the Green Bay Packers. It all starts in the trenches. Uh, the 49ers have a very good offensive line. Trent Williams, their left tackle, is the number one tackle in football, according to PFF. And that is not even the worst of the news. The worst of the news is actually on defense. You got Nick Bosa. You got mm-hmm. DJ Jones. You have Javon Kinlaw, who's doing okay. And those three guys, none of those are their best pass rusher right now. It's actually Eric Armstead. Eric Armstead is uh, just killing it. He and Bosa and DJ Jones together are terrorizing opposing offenses, getting a lot of pressure both off the edge and on the inside. And that is bad news for a Packers unit that is missing David Bakhtiari, 
doesn't have Corey Lindsley from the last few years, although Josh Myers is playing quite well. And this week might be missing Elton Jenkins. We'll have to find out. Uh, you're you're looking at guys like John Runyon starting at left guard. Uh, possibly you're looking at tackles of Billy Turner and Dennis Kelly on the outside if Elton Jenkins can't go. Uh, we we have seen over the last couple of years what happens when the line can't keep Aaron Rodgers clean. And not saying that that is what's going to happen, but the stars are certainly aligning that way. And it, it just, if the Packers offense can't get going early, they have a hard time getting going ever. So, uh, stars are definitely aligning for the 49ers to make short work of the Green Bay Packers. And now we're going to transition over into our actual analysis of position groups, matchups, and things that the Packers can be taking advantage of. Let's go ahead and, and just have the Elton Jenkins discussion. He's been held out of practice. Uh, is that a precautionary thing? I think you would have to, with, with as important as he is to the offensive line right now, you have to hold him out if there's any questions at all. He's got an ankle injury, didn't participate in practice on Wednesday or Thursday. Uh, by the time you guys are listening to this, it's going to be Friday, so keep your ears peeled to see if he practices on Friday. That might give us an indication. But I don't think that they're, with as uh, potentially serious as this ankle injury could be, I don't think there was ever a world in which he was going to be practicing early on in the week. No, I, I don't think so either. And I and I think the overall philosophy of the Packers organization, the trainers, the coaching staff, et cetera, has been let's hold these guys out early in the season if we have to, because we're gonna need them in the last half of the season, the playoff stretch drive, and then hopefully the playoffs. So they'd rather sit a guy in September than not have him in November and December and January. The rest of this offensive line is still is still concerning to me against this 49ers D-line, even if Elton is good to go. Because John Runyon uh, played decently well last week. Uh, so Jenkins, Runyon, and Newman all each allowed a sack against the Detroit Lions, which is not a good D-line. Uh, Jenkins didn't play his best against the Lions, but you do have to wonder, is that related to his ankle injury? Uh, seems like a pretty easy argument to make. Uh, he played very well against the Saints. Myers has been playing well. Billy Turner, I think, is is fine, uh, but I, I really need him over at right tackle and not at left tackle because... Uh, I, I don't want to be trotting out Dennis Kelly as our other starting tackle against the 49ers. No, that the problem is that the strength of the 49ers defense is their ability to rush the passer, their front seven. And if the Packers are going to be without their two best offensive linemen with Bakhtiari on the pup list and Jenkins, you know, injured with this ankle, that's a very big vulnerability. If Aaron Rodgers doesn't have time to throw the football, the Packers are in trouble. Although, although, and I'll flip it on its head a little bit with this, 
maybe that forces Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur to go to quick passes, to scheme players open on those quick passes, and maybe ensures that the offense is a little more efficient and a little less going for the home run ball all the time like we saw in week one. Let me pitch this to you. If the Packers manage to squeak out a win against the 49ers this week, with all the guys that they are missing, uh, that to me would be a signal that they are for real. And I'd, you know, let me be clear, by the way, I don't think that the 49ers are this crazy good team this year either. I just think that with where the Packers are right now and the issues that they are currently facing, I just think it's a bad matchup. And this is a rivalry that has been pretty one-sided in the last few years. Uh, yeah, the Packers did um, really beat up on the 49ers last year, but it was, you know, they were not playing very many of their starters because everybody was on IR. So, but, but to be clear, you know, I said in my opening argument that it's all about the trenches. And I do believe that if you look at the rest of the 49ers team outside of their linemen on offense and defense, they kind of have next to nothing right now. You got George Kittle and you got a bunch of good linemen and that's about it. So the the biggest concern that I have for the 49ers right now is their cornerbacks are terrible. You got Josh Norman. He's uh, so far is graded out as uh, 47.2 uh, on PFF, which is very, very bad. Um, they have a, a young guy. I think he's a rookie. Yeah, he is a rookie. Uh, fifth round draft pick, Diamador Lenoir. Mm-hmm. Who is okay but not great and he's uh he's gotten picked on a bit he did allow a like a 71 yard uh completion last week now 49ers fans were excited about the fact that Lenoir didn't really seem phased by that like he kind of just brushed it off and and went about his business on the next snap as though it hadn't happened well, you got to have a short term. You got to have a short term memory right. if you're a cornerback in the NFL. Yep, and that's great. That's great for him. Uh, something that'll help him a lot in the future. But he did allow that completion in the first place, which is good news for the Packers. Um, he also uh, he has a measly 34 uh, run defense grade, <clears throat> and we saw how much the Packers wanted to pound the ball last week. Um, I. I will note the 49ers have some decent-ish, or at the very least, very athletic inside linebackers, uh, which is bad news for the outside zone run scheme that the Packers like to employ with Aaron Jones. This, to me, is a week where you got to lean hard on A.J. Dillon and uh, you know really play some big boy physical football, run the ball up the middle with A.J. Dillon, so that it frees you up to do other stuff with other players. And if you just only lean on trying to get Aaron Jones outside or take those deep shots, like you said, it's going to be a long night uh, with a lot of Packers defense on the field. Yeah, and that's what the Packers can't afford. So, I, I mean, look, unfortunately, in many of the visits to California, especially 
Santa Clara, where the 49ers now play. Matt LaFleur and his team, A, have been outcoached, and B, often did not look ready to play mentally. Uh, Certainly that was the case in both games in 2019. Uh, In fact, if you add the L.A. Chargers game, you could say three games in 2019 that, you know, the Packers went out to California and just laid an egg. Uh, But this game, because of the way the offensive line is set up, because of the injuries that both teams have, it is going to be vital for Matt LaFleur to have a very, very good game plan and to have the Packers execute it. They have got to be able to compensate and work around those injuries and then attack the 49ers where they're weak. And one one thing that I noticed when I was breaking down this game, the Packers last week, neither MVS or Alan Lazard had a catch. And I don't think Lazard even had a target last week. But both of those players have somewhere between five and seven inch height advantages on most of the San Francisco cornerbacks. And especially on little wide receiver screens and little uh, dump passes like that, you can use that to your advantage and keep the sticks moving by exploiting some of those matchups. That's a very good point. And consider this, and this is kind of conspiracy land in a way, but so the you know the Packers got blown out uh, against the Saints, and there's not a ton of useful tape that you provide to the 49ers in terms of, hey, here's the things the Packers do really well that you need to be prepared for. And then you go up against the Lions, and it was a good game, and the offense played well uh, at, at at least in for the most part. Mm-hmm. But it was a very one-dimensional offense. It was it was a lot of just Aaron Jones, and then once in a while, when they really needed something extra, they'd work in Devonte or Tunyon, and that was about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you did have Randall Cobb, I think, was only on the field something like eighteen times. Um, he ran twelve routes, was targeted. Six times. Is that correct? No, he no, no. He was on the field 12 times, ran six routes, was targeted three times and caught two uh, first down conversions. Okay, I think that's what it was. Point being, he's not out there very much, but when he is out there, Rogers is kind of force feeding him the ball. Something to keep an eye on is if 18 is on the field, just keep a heads up that. Rodgers might be having a little bit of tunnel vision for him. We'll see. I, I, I think that it's quite likely that he's trying to prove or justify to the Packers brass that, hey, um, you know, the, the the move to go get my guy was worthwhile. Look at how productive he is. And can you please keep my buddy out here with me a little bit more often? I think that's probably some of what's going on. But. Anyways, to the point, uh, a pretty one-dimensional Packers offense last week. This is maybe an opportunity against the 49ers to really open it up wide, go for broke, do a lot of crazy stuff. 
the 49ers, I think, are going to be one of the tougher challenges that the Packers are going to face for a while. It's a good opportunity to really go ahead and just empty the whole playbook on the field. And you have an advantage that was not probably intentional, but was of your own making in that the 49ers don't have a ton of useful stuff to scout on you. Yeah, it's sort of, uh, you know, not the way you planned it, but it works out in that sense. And now it is up to the Packers to take advantage of that and any other, uh, you know, favorable matchup. Look, I, I think that if the Packers offensive line was fully healthy, they would have a much better chance in this game. I am just concerned about the Packers offensive line coming down with these injuries right when they're facing a very, very tough defensive front seven in San Francisco. Oh, it's going to be very tough. But I, I am optimistic when I look at the Niners offense. They just don't have a lot going for them right now outside of their offensive line. And by the way, you know, I mentioned uh, Trent Williams is the number one left tackle in the league right now. Right. Um, and then their uh, left guard, Lakin Tomlinson, playing very, very well. He's got an 81 grade. That's phenomenal. Right guard Daniel Brunskill is performing quite um, uh, adequately. No problems there. But then their center, Alex Mack, not really, you know, uh, blowing down the world over there. Mike McGlinchey, right tackle, also a bit leaky. Those are some spots that you could maybe attack. Get You know, Kenny Clark has been playing very, very, very well right now which is um, atypical for him. He's kind of Mr. December. He turns it on late in the year. He's already playing just freakishly well. If he's getting some pressure uh, through Alex Mack, and then you got either Preston or Rashawn blowing up the right tackle, that is maybe a recipe for getting some pressure on Garoppolo, who is a serviceable but not elite quarterback by any stretch of the imagination. And then they have like no running game right now. No running backs. Elijah Mitchell is kind of the only guy that they have as any kind of an option to run the ball right now. Mm -hmm. Cause everybody else is hurt. And Elijah Mitchell, look, I like him a lot. He was one of the guys that I was advocating that the Packers should draft even, but he's hurt. He's not participating in practices right now. He's got a shoulder injury. Who's going to run the ball. Well, they have some practice squad guys that might be getting elevated. Um, anybody you have ever heard of are all hurt. Jamichael Hasty is not practicing. He's got a, a seriously hurt ankle. Trey Sermon is in concussion protocol. Um, it's Elijah Mitchell and practice squad guys. And yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, the scheme is great. No question about that. About that. But you got guys who have not been working in the scheme, who don't know it, and who were not deemed. Uh, rosterable by the 49ers when they were putting their 53 together. It, it Look, you, there is the belief right now in the NFL is that you can more or less plug in almost any serviceable running back. And if you've got a good scheme and you've got a good offensive line, you can make those running backs productive. And that is particularly true in this 
type of offense that both the Packers and the 49ers run. It's all off the the Shanahan tree. And we remember what happened in Denver, where every year it seems like someone you never heard of before became a thousand yard rusher for the Broncos in that scheme and then left that scheme and was never heard from again. Right. You know, we're going to put that to the test to see who the 49ers, you know, can put together and and whether or not they can uh, run the football. Now, the, the flip side of that is that the Packers run defense has not been a strength of this team for several years now. And, you know, you get the feeling the Packers defense plays best when it has a lead to protect and they know you're going to throw the ball you know, 75, 80% of the time when that happens. And if you don't, they don't care if you get four yards on first and 10 because the clock will keep running and, you know, they're playing with a lead. I get the feeling this is going to be more of a shootout kind of game. And I think that that test of how important is having a good running back versus the scheme and the offensive line, we're going to see how true that is on Sunday night when the Packers meet the 49ers. All right, well, let's talk about our defense for a minute then. I feel a little bit alone in saying that I actually have been pretty pleased with the new Packers defense. Um, I know that they are allowing a lot of points. Uh, I think they allowed touchdowns on something like nine straight drives um, from the end of the Saints game to the uh, first two drives in the Lions game. I think that was the stat. Not great. Um, But we said on this podcast that the Packers defense was going to take a while to get rolling, um, that they were going to have a slow start. So I wasn't I didn't come in with sky high expectations. And the things that I have seen that have given me a lot of confidence. Number one, their tackling ability. Packers are the number one best tackling team in the NFL. Can you think of any time in your lifetime when that has been true? Gil Martin, <laughs> <laughs> the Packers finally learned how to tackle. It's so crazy that when they actually catch up to the, the ball carrier, when they get a guy over there, he stops and drops. And that's the end of it. That is not something that you ever see from green Bay. It is good to see. I need to make sure that it continues to happen. Mm-hmm. But uh, that aspect of it is encouraging, to say the least. And, you know, look, I am less pleased with the way the defense has played over the first two games than you are. Uh, to me, the first six quarters of this year, the defense was pretty bad. And the biggest concern for me long term, because, you know, like you mentioned, we talked before the season started and said it's going to take the defense a little time to adjust and to, uh, you know, learn the system and, and, and get comfortable and all of that. I can live with this to a, to a point, but the lack of pass rush, uh, I'll tell you, the Packers miss Zadarius Smith in a big way. And like, all of these reports that are coming out that at halftime, Matt LaFleur went up to Joe Barry and said, hey, you better start sending some pressure because we're not getting anywhere close. You know, Joe Barry should have known that already. I mean, that's not something that you necessarily should be having to tell your defensive coordinator. The lack of a pass rush 
the lack of a consistent pass rush. One sack total in two games, and I believe it was on a play where uh, Jared Goff kind of patted the ball, caused a fumble, and and that was accredited as a team sack. Uh, I'm not seeing enough pass rush, and over the long haul, that's not a sustainable model. Yeah, Rashawn Gary is the current currently the highest graded pass rusher on the team. Uh, then Zadarius Smith for his limited snaps that he's been out there. Kenny Clark is the third highest graded pass rusher on the team. Um, I, I agree that they, they need to get more pressure on the quarterback. That's, that is for sure. Um, but, but through two games, I'm not concerned yet. Uh, we saw, I think a lot of progress from week one to week two. I, I fully, even though that was against the Lions, I fully expect to see uh, more progress now in week three. And I, I want to go through some of the other guys on this defense who have me kind of excited. So the the highest overall graded defender that we have is Preston Smith. He is one of the highest graded run defenders in the league with an eighty-seven point four overall grade. That's uh, borderline elite. Kenny Clark playing uh, as good as he ever does this early in the year. That's crazy. But the next two guys on the list uh, for highest graded Packers players on defense, Oren Burks and Devondra Campbell. You never see that from linebackers. Joe Barry has taken our scrub linebackers and made them quite productive. Uh, Devondra Campbell is the second highest graded run defender on the team, 85.8 overall grade. He has something like 12 tackles already, uh, playing very well. And yeah, he got that interception in the last game, but uh, I think it was uh, Garvin who was the guy who actually um, wrapped up Goff and made him uh, throw that stupid pass that he should have just taken the sack. It was was idiotic of Jared Goff. But credit to... Uh, our our pass rush for getting home on that play. And then you know who the fifth highest graded defensive player we have is? It's Eric Stokes. Yeah. Eric Stokes. Uh, now, some outlets, including PFF, are crediting him with giving up a touchdown. The Packers coaches have definitively said, no, that was Kevin King who allowed that touchdown. Stokes left his guy and came over and tried to break up the touchdown, but he, it wasn't even his responsibility. So Stokes has been targeted five times, allowed zero completions and has a pass breakup 75.9 overall grade. Put him at CB two. It's time. Start him over Kevin King. Uh, I actually have here. It is. We played three cornerbacks um, at any kind of significant snaps in the slot. Chandon Sullivan has played 22 snaps in the slot, been targeted three times, gave up three receptions for 27 yards and a touchdown. Not great. Jair played 17 snaps in the slot. He was targeted five times, gave up two catches for 21 yards. Kevin King played 16 snaps, targeted once, Gave up one reception for eight yards and a touchdown. Uh, But Kevin King only being targeted one time when he's in the slot 
That's what I like to see. <laughs> now, I th- I think clearly a little bit of this is who guys are getting matched up against. Right. And so we got to look at, okay, if if you're running that, who who would you be matched up against against the 49ers? Against the 49ers, I want Jair in the slot because their slot receiver is Devo Samuel. Now, I would also like him to follow Devo. So if Devo goes somewhere else, I, I'd I like would too. Jair to go I, somewhere I, else. To me, also, that would be a fascinating game within a game. When I watch the coaches film next week, I mm-hmm. want to watch every time those two guys are matched up against each other. Now, here, here's the really big question for me is Brandon Ayuk. Brandon Ayuk has basically not been playing for the 49ers. Uh, he sounds like he is uh, in the doghouse with uh, Kyle Shanahan. We're not really sure what's going on with that. Uh, we know that he missed uh, a substantial amount of practice, um, and that probably has something to do with it. But Ayuk clearly has a lot of potential. And yet he's not getting used much. And when he has seen the field, he hasn't played great. He's only got a 55 overall PFF grade, which is below average. But if you but if you look at Ayuk as their third best receiver behind Trent Sherfield and Debo Samuel, and you match Kevin King up against Ayuk, I don't know that I feel comfortable with that because Ayuk has the upside to really burn you. I'd almost rather have Eric Stokes on Ayuk which would make him CB3. I understand that, but he would be playing outside and you'd have uh, Kevin King on Trent Sherfield, who is an okay player, but he's nothing special. And I don't think that he has that upside to really gouge you the way that, uh, you know, guys like Scotty Miller have and uh, Deontay Harris for the Saints. Um, and the way that I think Brandon Ayuk really could to me, that would be where I would put Kevin King. Um, uh, I'm looking up, uh, Trent Sherfield's 40 time. Cause I'm curious. He ran a four, four, five, which is, uh, pretty fast. Um, and then, but Brandon Ayuk is a, Hmm. This is, this is tough. Cause it, the, the note right here says that he ran a four five Oh, but that he was dealing with a core muscle injury and that the coaches don't think that's his official time. I hate when we don't actually know how fast guys are because of that. Like if, you, yeah. if you didn't, if you didn't, weren't able to run your actual 40 at the combine, can we get some other number? Cause you've run other forties in the past besides just at the, at the combine. You got you got to dig a little. Sometimes those numbers are out there. If you check the original like uh, draft scouting reports on a player, uh, sometimes they'll estimate the 40 time or they'll say they ran this at their pro day, especially when they don't actually run at the combine. But yeah, it is, it is frustrating, but you yeah, know, hang on, hang on. I, I did ahead. find an article here uh, talking about Ayuk, And so this is Chris, uh, I don't know how you say his last name. I would say Biederman, but it could be Biderman. There's no E. It's just B-I-D. Chris okay. Biderman of the Sacramento Bee uh, when he was drafted by the Niners and mentions that that 40-yard time was extremely disappointing for those who know Ayuk and that 
uh, how for how recently he had had that core muscle surgery uh to run a four or five right after that was kind of impressive mm-hmm. so here's the quote barrows who's barrows biterman is quoting somebody uh matt barrows of the athletic here we go uh and barrows by the way is paraphrasing a conversation he had with john lynch barrows okay. wrote that Ayuk, in fact has elite speed that would rank among the best in the nfl citing next gen stats barrows reported Ayuk recorded a speed of 21.97 miles per hour in an arizona state game this past season only three nfl players recorded faster speeds in 2019 that'd be matt Breida, cordero patterson and brandon wilson three guys that we know are blazing fast can we put Eric Stokes on Brandon Ayuk? They're both young guys, both probably going to make some, you know, young guy mistakes. But Eric Stokes is, I, I believe, the fastest guy on our roster. Can we just please put him on Ayuk? And I, I just, I, I don't want to see <laughs> anybody else out there. And keep Jair on Debo because you know Debo is the guy that they're going to, you know, is going to get the, the you know, uh, plow horse's share of targets. Look, I want the thing is this. I want to see uh, Alexander uh, on Debo Samuel. But the way the Packers typically play is they go left side, right side, and they don't necessarily, you know, lock in on one, you know, to follow, have Jair follow one particular receiver, regardless of where they line up. And that's going to be interesting to see how Joe Barry, whether he changes that or whether he is willing to allow the 49ers to sort of dictate those matchups. And the one thing you can't allow for any length of time is Debo Samuel lining up opposite Kevin King. No, for sure. I agree a hundred percent with what you said. This is certainly a situation where even if your um, overall philosophy is that we just keep guys in a spot, you can't do that against the 49ers because of this disparity of talent here. Debo Samuel, it's like it's like going against uh Devonte Adams and Malik Taylor and Reggie Bagleton and then saying, mm-hmm. "Eh, whichever corner we have in front of that guy is who's going to No, put your best corner on Devonte and and don't don't get cute with it. That just do that all day. Or you're gonna you're gonna pay for it. Debo Samuel is grading out right now as the fourth best receiver in football. I don't expect that to necessarily stand all year, but he's playing quite well. Uh, Twenty targets, fifteen receptions, two hundred eighty-two yards. Which, by the way, two hundred eighty-two yards leads the league in receiving yards uh, through two games, and one receiving touchdown. His receiving grade is 83.3. He also uh, has two carries. Put Jair on Debo. Don't mix it up. Don't get cute. Don't overthink it. I I agree 100%, but it remains to be seen what they're going to do. And you you also have to figure in they will double team Debo Samuel on some plays, and they will play a combination of uh, man with with maybe a deep shell zone behind it. So... There's all kinds of middle grounds between all of these things, but I really want to see Alexander on Debo as much as possible, if not all game long. All right, let's look at our uh, matchups to keep an eye on. We, we've already kind of talked about Debo Samuel. Uh, we also, at the beginning, we were talking about Kenny Clark versus center Alex Mack. That's going to be a matchup to keep your eye on. And then 
if if you run with how they have been playing, Rashawn Gary is the guy that's going to be matched up against Mike McGlinchey. Um, and I think that there is a good possibility for that matchup to be exploited by the Packers. I do like that. Uh, George Kittle obviously is the biggest X factor, and, and that's actually a guy that we maybe should have talked about a bit when we were talking about our corners because, you know, do you want Devondre Campbell covering George Kittle? I'm not so sure. You, you, maybe Jair is the guy that you have covering him. I'm. That's the problem with, you know, the two or three superstar tight ends that are in this league is how do you cover them? It's really hard, and if you don't have the best of the best at linebacker, uh, you really have to get creative in, in how you defend a guy like that. I think you have to almost use like Adrian Amos to part of the time, at least to try to slow down Kittle. I, I, I and Amos, wanna... by the way, has not been playing well so far. Uh, no, he's, he hasn't had a great start, but I, I, I think you mix in Campbell and Amos and try to keep them guessing a little bit. Uh, and, and yeah, it's a tough matchup. It is a very difficult matchup, especially if you're not getting pressure on the opposing quarterback. Speaking of those quarterbacks, by the way, we have to play some contain because even by, I think that Jared Goff might be the least mobile quarterback I've ever seen outside of, oh, big Ben. Uh, and he was gashing the Packers with his feet. The 49ers have Trey Lance. You know they're going to use him a bit. You know he's going to come in on some RPOs. The Packers have to be mindful of this. And by the way, it's something they have to get better at because they're going to play Kyler Murray. They're going to play Lamar Jackson. They're they're very likely playing Justin Fields. This week, they take on Trey Lance. I would argue uh, he's the third best rushing quarterback that they're going to face this year. Uh, Trey Lance has not played well so far this year, but I don't just assume that he's going to uh, be mediocre again against us because mobile quarterbacks have a way of having really good games when they play against the Packers. So there is that. We should flip the field around, look at uh, Packers offense versus Niners defense and the matchups to keep an eye on here. Safety Bosa against whoever the, the Packers left tackle is. And Eric Armstead against presumably Billy Turner, unless Turner's right. over at left unless tackle. Unless Turner's over on the left side, right, exactly. Both of those guys are going to be an issue. DJ Jones is not typically much of a pass rusher. He has an above-average pass rush grade. He grades out as as pretty decent, uh, 69. You would usually say that like roughly 70 is kind of the where you would start calling him good. But he's a phenomenal run defender. Which is kind of some bad news if you are going to try and just run AJ Dillon up the middle. And then if you're running uh, Aaron Jones on the outside zone, you have to deal with Fred Warner. You have to deal with uh, Marcel Harris. Um, they do also have <laughs> Aziz Al Shair. Oh, I nailed it. Oh, man. Well done. Well uh, his, done. His run defense grade is horrific. This is the worst grade that we've seen today at any position for anything. It's a 26.8. So, but you, you, you can't assume that he's going to be out there very much. He's their Sam linebacker. Um, Fred Warner is definitely the guy who, uh, along with safeties, 
Jimmy Ward and Jaquiski Tart. Those are the guys you really got to watch out for uh, in shutting down Aaron Jones, who, by the way, hasn't been running great by Aaron Jones standards. He's getting like uh, 3.4 yards per carry, I think. He's looking just okay. Now, I did Mm -hmm. notice the longer he played against the Lions, the better he looked. We never had any uh, rushes of more than 10 yards, though. So that was concerning against a not great Lions D line. But it was encouraging to see that he was getting better as the night went on. I hope to see that uh, progress carry over into this week. But having DJ Jones in the middle there as a big run stuffer is bad news uh, for the alternative AJ Dillon strategy. And then uh, in, in a positive light, you got Josh Norman to pick on uh, at uh, sort of that uh, CB2. And Diamador Lenoir is a guy that you can definitely take some shots at with uh, Rogers to Devonte. That's a matchup you can exploit uh, because of his youth and inexperience, but you do have decently good safeties out there to kind of mop up some mistakes. And if the 49ers have any brains at all, they're going to be playing too high safety, which has been very effective recently at stopping Aaron Rodgers, who again is not playing well by Aaron Rodgers standards or, really by the standards of the rest of the NFL. Even last week, although he was credited with four touchdowns, he's like a uh, uh, bottom like 20 to 23 or uh, 25 quarterback right now through two games. Mm -hmm. We need to see a lot better out of him this week if we have any hope of beating the 49ers. No question. No question about that. And and look, you know, we said before the season started during the off season, we did a thing where we were supposedly trying to guess when the Packers would lose their first game. Yep. And I said, you, the Niners, you said the Niners. I said one week further, I said, Pittsburgh, yep. uh, we were both wrong, you know, unfortunately, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but I mean, this was a tough matchup even before the injury situation was known. So it, this will give us a much better idea of what kind of a team the Packers really are. Losing in week one, you could say it was a fluke uh, if the team picks it up and does well the rest of the year. Beating Detroit at home, you could say, well, it's just Detroit, so you could not take a lot away necessarily from that. Going on the road to San Francisco and playing a healthy 49ers team on Sunday night football, on national TV, to me... Even if they don't win, if they play well and go toe-to-toe with the 49ers, that tells me this team is where we think they're roughly going to be. All right. So the 49ers beat the Lions 41-33. to They beat the Eagles 17-11. to The last three games between the Packers and 49ers – uh, final scores, you had Packers 34, 49ers 17 last year. And then in 2019, you had 37 to 20 in the NFC championship game and 37 to eight in the regular season. You do know that the Packers have beaten the 49ers three out of the last four regular season meetings between these two teams. Well, that is true. Uh, okay. 2015. 
we beat them 17 to 3. 2018, we beat them 33 to 30. Then you have the 2019 game in late November, which was 8 to 37, and the 49ers won that. Um, that's a good point. Now, this is obviously a, a different team because we have a new head coach. So under Matt LaFleur, we played four times, but but you're right, one of those was in the playoffs. You can't you can't really weight that the same. And so under LaFleur, we have gone uh one and two against the Niners. But if you factor in those last two regular season games where McCarthy was the head coach, that's that's true. That's true. We've we've only lost one uh regular season game against them. Who's winning the game and what is your score prediction? I think it's going to be uh, San Francisco 34, the Packers 31. Well, this is a turning point for the podcast. This is the first time in No Huddle Radio history that I am picking the Packers to lose. I really hope that I'm wrong. I would love to come back next week and you and I can laugh at ourselves and say how wrong we were. (laughs) I'm taking, I think it's going to be a low scoring game. I think that the... Niners offense is going to have a hard time going, getting going. I think the Packers offense is going to have a hard time getting going. Probably you're looking at 24-11 49ers. That's my, that's my score prediction this week. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think the Packers defense is going to play relatively well for four quarters, but I think they're going to be on the field so much. Why did I say 11 points? That would mean that they're converting a two-point, which the Packers never do. Uh, <laughs> 10 points for the Packers. I think they're putting up 10, not 11. Okay. All okay. right. 24-10. That's my official score prediction, and I'm really hoping to come back next week and, and laugh at myself. We'll find out. But like I said, this is a big test for the Packers, and even if they don't win, I really want to see them go toe-to-toe with this 49ers team and be competitive to the very end of this game. I think win or lose this week, I still feel optimistic about that Steelers game. You know what? This is one of the tougher parts of the schedule right now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, playing in San Francisco and then hosting Pittsburgh in back-to-back weeks, two not-so-easy games. Let's see. Let's see how this team responds. All right, that's it for today. We'll be right back here next week. Follow us on Twitter, at Packers and at JJ Leahy to stay up to date on all things Packers or to ask us questions. You can also email us questions for the show at asknohuddle at gmail.com. Make sure you're subscribed to Packers Talk on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Big thanks to PackersTalk.com for powering our show, and thank you for listening. Until next time, go Pack Go! Go Pack Go! You are listening to Packers Talk Radio Network. PackersTalk.com